And we are off. Hey, Vicar, why don't you start? <laughs> you want me to do the, the whole thing? Yeah. Let's, let's see if you're learning. Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Toxin Tastings Podcast, this is the Clerical Errors. Oh, I shoot. I said pad podcast. Hang on. Let me do that again. <clears throat> Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast, the podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Toxin Tasting Studios, this is the Clerical Errors Podcast, the podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. This is Paul Hagen. This is Berg. And this is Vicar. Good job, Vicar. Good job. What do you think? How do you... Someday when he, he hosts his own podcast, uh... He'll do all right. That is the truth. So how you doing, Berg? Oh, just living the dream. Living the dream. I actually have a drink this time. Oh. So uh, a Pauliner Oktoberfest because it is that time of year. It is that time of year. Now, what what about what temperature is it? Because a true Oktoberfest beer should be a little warmer, shouldn't it? You know, I I don't know. I I threw this in the refrigerator, so... All right. Well, you know what? Maybe this would be if we get enough Patreon, we can maybe do a broadcast uh, from the actual Oktoberfest. Someday, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, um, Peter is not here. He is uh, busy working, so he will not be able to join us. Maybe there's a chance he might hop on if he gets back in time. But in the meantime, we get a little off topic seem like we're meandering a little bit it's because our fearless producer is not here indeed so you guys drinking anything i just have some water and i i, I uh i slammed a coffee before confirmation one of those uh cans of dark brew oh yeah so i'm you're pumped i'm pumped right <laughs> well i'm gonna open mine then just to all keep, right keep with the sh- with the show you know So have you had this one before? Oh, yeah. It's pretty good. I usually don't drink beer, but this is pretty good stuff. Is it a nice amber color? It is. Is that a Minnesota beer? No, this is actually from Munich. Wow. So, you know, living large, living fancy, out on wow. uh, out near the mountains. So, How's the weather? Weather been good? Yeah, it's been pretty good. Um, Any snow yet? Not yet. Uh, the trees are changing. It was 38 degrees this morning. Wow. So, yeah, they, it's, uh, they were saying they, it was pretty warm this year because uh, we didn't have any snow in September. So, <laughs> yeah, and it's been summer here for the last week. I love it. Yeah, I know. You know me, I like the warm weather. That's where you're going to retire to, right? Florida, the That's beaches. Right. That's right. Or or maybe the keys. Maybe you'd like that. A mission. There you go. A, a, a parrot head mission uh, worker. There we go. <laughs> so Iowa District East, if you want uh, Bullhagen to be a missionary there, donate to the Patreon. Right. <laughs> uh, imagine me trying to make that trip to Mapleton. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the plan. Oh, someone's laughing really hard at that. Someone's listening, <laughs> laughing really hard at that joke. There's probably like five people laughing hysterically at that joke. But <laughs> for you five, we do it for you. That's right. That's right. If you if you uh, thought that was really funny, let us know. Where can they let us know, Vicar? They can email us at feedback at clericalerrors.org. They can also get a hold of us on Facebook at facebook.com slash clerical errors podcast. And they can tweet at us uh, at clerical errors P. That's that's X now. Sorry, they can ax at us. That's right. All right. So, well, Vicar, uh, what am I preaching on? You are preaching on the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 22nd chapter. You want me to read it? Yeah, read it. All right. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, 
You shall love the Lord God, Lord your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. All right. We're getting into the, the kind of the nitty gritty here, right? Uh, he uh, is kind of, Jesus is getting a little more frustrated with everyone. Uh, well, he's got a lot on my, his mind. Right, right. Didn't he just uh, just kind of argue with the Sadducees before the about the resurrection around this time too? Yeah. Yeah, he and did. So, so uh, here he, first of all, he, he mentions all the law and prophets hang on those two commandments. You know what's interesting about those commandments, uh, Vicar, is the fact that, you know, you can't really fulfill those. Those can't be fulfilled without the gospel. Right. Because uh, if you are loving God with your whole heart, uh, loving him as Jesus suggests, uh, and you're doing it f- as the Pharisees did to earn favor, you're not actually loving God, you're loving yourself. And if you're loving your neighbor simply for the fact of so that you get some great reward, you're not loving your neighbor for themselves or for the sake of love, you're loving them for your sake. And the only way that can truly happen is if you are freed by the gospel fulfilled in Christ Jesus, who is the fulfillment of both those commandments, so that then you are freed, forgiven, and free to then actually love God and love your neighbor, because you cannot love God in any way apart from the gospel and apart from the Holy Spirit and apart from faith. Uh, as you have learned in seminary, right, is it, can a true good work be done outside of faith? In, in no. cemetery? In cemetery, yes. Yes. Well, there also, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I go sometimes I hang out you know what you have to remind me Vicar. I haven't taken you to the church cemetery yet oh that's right yeah remind me of that okay I can forget things once in a while <laughs> yeah man my ADHD has been bad lately I don't know what it is so anyways uh, what is and also then he argues with them or teaches them uh, on how it could be that uh, the Messiah is both David's son and David's Lord. Mm-hmm. And they don't know how to answer that. And to this day, I don't think uh, they know how to answer that. Do they, Berg? Nope. Because they don't... Most Jews nowadays, they don't even really believe in a person Messiah. They more believe in a Messianic age, don't they? It de- it, do. Yeah, it depends on what, it's a, what such flavor a you're talking about. Right, right. Um, is there anything you'd like to add about the Textberg? You know, I think this is a great, um, this is a great pericope for using the small catechism. Right, that if all if everything in the law and the prophets can be summed up under love God and love your neighbor, um, well, that's commandments one through three, and then four through ten. Right, and so when you're mm-hmm. going through, it'd be nice to. Okay, you read a pericope about uh, the sacrifice of Isaac, for example. What could you do? You could put that under commandment one. Right. Right, that, you know, he feared, loved, and trusted in God above the life of his own son. Um, when Jeremiah talks about, you know, woe to those who build their houses on cedar, you could put, you know, the seventh commandment, theft, right, that he's stealing from his workers mm-hmm. uh, and building his house on unrighteousness. Um, I think this would actually be a way more profitable way of reading the Bible is if our members start reading it, uh, try to pair it with a commandment or an article or uh, a part of the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. Um, This would actually not only help them put it within some sort of a framework, but this would also help them then to teach the Bible to their children. 
Because unfortunately, a lot of people look at the Bible and say, well, you know, um, I don't know what this means. And so therefore, if I can't fit it into my mental matrix, I'm going to forget it. Right. And right. Jesus here provides, a you know, the two unifying principles of the Bible, the law and the gospel, or the law and the promises, as Melanchthon says in, in the book mm-hmm. of Concord. So... Yes, was it you that that kind of talked about love in this way? I don't remember where I heard this, uh, but I heard this recently of of uh, from First Corinthians chapter thirteen, where Paul faith, hope, and love these three, but the greatest of these is love. Yeah, and when you, when you think about that, well, how, why is it worded that the greatest of these is love? Well, faith ultimately is an earthly thing. Faith is trust in things you can't see, right? So, uh, in the resurrection, is there really faith anymore? No. No. No, right? Uh, what about hope? Hope is, it, likewise, faith is trusting in something that is real, even though you may not see it. Because God said so in his word, you're holding on to that, even though you can't really see it or enjoy it yet, you're holding on that to reality as though it is true today because you know God will fulfill it. Well, in the resurrection, is there a need for hope? Or mm, no. That hope will be fulfilled. So what's left? Love. The fulfillment of that that starts, is with us today, but also then continues in the resurrection. That's why I think the greatest, as he says, we see it dimly. We see it in faith and hope. We don't see the full fulfillment but at some point, those things, will, the faith will be fulfilled, the hope will be fulfilled, and the, the love behind all of it will remain. Uh, I remember one time I preached from this text, uh, the, the Ten Commandments, and, and uh, kind of the main point of it was, was the fact that the Ten Commandments actually teach you how to love God and love your neighbor, um, which in a, one way it seems obvious, uh, but... Uh, I was surprised sometimes how people say, well, you know, thanks, Pastor. That's a good sermon. I never thought about it that way. Because <laughs> they, they hear so much about the Ten Commandments being the ex- exact opposite of being judgy or or all those things. No, you want to learn how to love. doesn't push you away from the Ten Commandments. To learn to love is to push you and drive you towards the Ten Commandments. How do I love my neighbor? Or how do I love God? Well, there you go. Right. Absolutely. You know, and yeah, that's what it is. And really, that's what the rest of the Bible is. This is why I almost think a a better framework is talking about how the Bible is profitable for us, right? It is inspired by God, 2 Timothy 3.16, right, that we all learn. But how is it profitable for us? How, How can we apply it? I mean, and this is where application comes in, right? For doctrine, that is teaching, uh, reproof, which is the combating of false teaching, uh, correction, which is a, a correction of our moral lives, um, training in righteousness, exactly what you're talking about. Like, mm-hmm. how, you know, I love God. I love my neighbor. How do I serve him? Right. What then right. shall we do, as the crowd say in the Gospel of Luke, right? And Paul mm-hmm. doesn't say, wrong question. You're putting yourselves back under the law. No, he actually, like, tells them what to do. He tells them generally what to do, and then he gives specific people specific admonitions, like the tax collectors or the soldiers. Um. Right. Right. So, so an example of this is is uh, go back to the, the 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 first table, loving God. I think there's a lot of people who who think to themselves, "Well, I love God so much in my heart," right, and then. Uh, but yet they don't actually see a need to come to church. <laughs> like, how do you love God? Is it that that warm place in your heart all the time? Or is it do you love him by hearing his word? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that'd be like me saying, well, I love my wife, but I, I never want to hear her talk. Yeah. Right? I mean, that would be, that'd be wicked. That'd be evil. That would show I really don't love her. Well, isn't that what church is? Church is God talking to us, right. literally or talking I, to us. I mean, he does. 
We call it the Viva Vox Christi, right? The living voice of mm-hmm. Christ. And that's how right. we should think about it when we hear uh, the readings read uh, in in church. God is talking to us. Yeah, it's just like a, um, uh, like uh, when you're teaching the teaching the Psalms. You know, the people people I say, oh, I want when I pray, I wish God would talk back to me. You know, which He does every time you pray a psalm. <laughs> Absolutely, where you're actually <laughs> using happens. His words right. to talk to Him. Right. And then he responds. Right. Or the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it also happens to be God's word. So there you go. You know, as you pray, give us a, this day our daily bread. And well, and I, say. I think going back to the first commandment too, this, you know, one of the things that this talks about that the book of Concord also talks about is what is original sin? Original sin is a lack of fear, love, and trust in God and concupiscence, right? It's actually mm-hmm. ignorance, right? If you don't want to learn anything about God, if you think that your catechism training was enough, uh, there seems to be a disconnect there between what you're thinking and the first commandment. Because if you love God, you want to know about the stuff you love, right? Mm-hmm. People who love football are looking up stats and memorizing players and doing all that stuff all the time, right? Right. So if we love God, I don't know, shouldn't we memorize the players in the Bible? Maybe we should, like, memorize the six days of creation, like people memorize stats or the, you know, ten plagues or Bible verses or hymns or, I don't know, maybe some of that kind of stuff. (laughs) Well, I don't know if it's as fun as uh, the whole Travis Kelsey, uh, Taylor okay. Swift thing. Okay, so we're going to go there now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, we have to talk about Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift just enough so that we can put it in the title. <laughs> right? Oh, man. Is that, is that a devious plan? So it what's is. Your, uh... Wise as serpents, man. Wise as serpents. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The shrewd manager. <laughs> You're being commended for your shrewdness. <laughs> so, Vicar, what are your feelings on this whole Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift? I don't know, man. I didn't even know about it until like three days ago. I don't, or I didn't even know who Travis Kelsey was until like three days ago. I really don't know what the big deal is. It's a power couple. It's bringing two worlds together. The Swifties and the NFLers. This will it's bring like about peace in our time. It's like the one thing that has brought our country together. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't know anything about it. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Well, it says that dating rumors have recently surrounded them. However, an official label on their relationship has yet to be confirmed. I thought they... Oh. I guess this is from a day ago, so... Oh. Well, I mean, she was at a football game sitting next to his mother. I mean... Uh, that's almost like someone coming to church and sitting next to your mom. <laughs> Assuming that's, you know, the NFL is your church. Which, well, for some people it well, is. Well, for some people it, I mean, it sure is. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. Or if Taylor Swift is your religion. Which? I mean, she is a pretty good prophetess. Yeah? There's yeah. a liturgy involved. There is a liturgy involved. Uh, there's a lot of up, down, side to side you know, dancing in there as well. Just not before the Lord. Yeah. Well, what's your favorite song, Vicar? Do you, do you know more about Taylor Swift? Do you, did you, when you were studying music in university, uh, how many times did you like study her music? Well, I didn't study it like in <laughs> university. I was in a band and we played some Taylor Swift stuff. So oh, to an extent, oh, man. I did have to study some of her music, but you're, um, you're like a priest in this, in this cult. Initiate no. us. Yes. Yeah, so, so, what songs did you play? See, we are the like vicars a, here, right? We're like this, a lower this is the thing, right? You got to talk about it enough so we can put it in our show title. What songs did you play? Oh, um, you'll have to give me a second because I'll have to look them up. I don't remember the titles oh. at all. Were they complicated? Were you play on the bass no, or the guitar? They are not complicated at all. Okay, one was like was a peak country Taylor Swift. So it was like a simple four chord, you know. One four six five kind of thing, 
the entire time. And then the other one was, um, was, oh, the name of it's like right on the tip of my tongue and I cannot think of it. <laughs> what is it called? I'll write your name or something like that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Maybe not. No. But uh, it was. It's a very like simple melodically and very simple harmonically, and so I had to add like a lot to actually make it sound interesting live. <laughs> Otherwise, it was literally just a drum and a bass and uh, vocals. Well, see, we're the experts. So, all right, we need to get to to keep it moving. Peter's not here to to shame <laughs> us. So, uh, <laughs> let's uh. Let's finish. We have to finish your top three, right? And then yep. if we have time, uh, I have top, t- after that, I have my top 12 uh, power couples of the Bible to show that this concept is, is not a, a new thing. <laughs> Even though it's not official yet. Yeah. We all know. So inspired by. Yes, yeah, so it's official enough for for them to play like every Taylor Swift commercial known to man between between uh timeouts so everybody knows what's going on all right so peter play the intro enough nonsense it's time for bullhagen's top 12 so berg remind us uh you know my memory that i cannot remember the title of your top 12 list that you're finishing i understand because a lot of people don't the top they were at the three yeah the top uh, three quotes from martin luther's in Invocavit, Cobbett, sermon, sermon on patient uh, teaching and waiting. All right, which is great because uh, we have made the listener patiently listen and learn for three weeks now. Yeah, I mean, if they don't like it, I, I don't know what to tell you, but I, I think this is just great. Just shake it off. So, shake it off. Yep, just shake it off. Just shake it off. Number three. There are some who can run, others must walk, still others can hardly creep. 1 Corinthians 8, 7 through 13. Therefore, we must not look upon our own, but upon our brother's powers, so that he who is weak in faith and attempts to follow the strong may not be destroyed of the devil. Therefore, dear brethren, follow me. I have never been a destroyer, and I was also the very first whom God called to this work. I cannot run away, but will remain as long as God allows. So the reference here for 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verses 7 through 13 is this. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some, with consciousness of the idol, until now eats it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who has knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble... I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Now, of course, we brought this up uh, when we were talking about the whole Bud Light boycott and all that kind of good stuff. So uh, I don't want to run over old ground too much here. But the point that Luther here is making is some people are just not ready yet. They have not come to a full understanding of Christian freedom. And so if you take things like the Mass away— you're taking their religion away. If you're taking their images away, you're taking Christ away. They're hardly creeping. We should look to his powers. If he can only creep, then we shouldn't force him to run because then he's going to die. And we don't want him to die. We don't want to be destroyers. Right. And that's something that Luther brings out here that none of us can really say. Uh, I was also the very first whom God called to this work, I cannot run away, but will remain as long as God allows. Even though people accuse him all the time of destroying, you know, this external unity of the church and all of this kind of stuff. Nevertheless, Luther was not a destroyer. He was a patient man. He taught and taught and taught and taught. He cared about his parishioners. He cared about his weaker brothers in the faith. In the same way, 
uh, and this is really important for pastors, we shouldn't be destroyers. Right. Oh, okay. Can I give you an example? Please do. All right. So I'll give you an example of, of hymnody, right? We have some hymns uh, in our hymnal that uh, pastors love, right? And there are some hymns in the hymnal, and I'm qualifying that with a hymnal because in the hymnal we have hymns that have been fallen under some, some scrutiny. They've been looked at, right? And some of those hymns are beloved by the members that are less beloved by the pastors, right? You want to give any At, concrete examples, Bullhagen? Uh, sure, sure. Like, um, I'm almost afraid to say that make people mad. But, but uh, for for example, how great thou art, or amazing grace. Isn't it funny how how great thou art is like the one hymn that was never updated? Because then you'd yeah. just be saying how great you are, how great you are. <laughs> <laughs> Right. It shows that becomes a modern pop song. Exactly. I mean, like, see, this is the point. People are conservative. It's awesome. Uh, And 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 there's a whole whole host of them, right? That uh, that that uh, pastors will generally say there are much stronger hymns, but at the same time, um, to simply say we're not going to sing that because there are stronger hymns in the hymnal. The way it comes across in the, the minds of the people is this: is they they start to think, well, uh, are you telling me that everything I learned up to this point is wrong? They feel as though you're making a judgment statement on uh, the hymns that a pastor thirty or forty years ago sang all the time, especially when they're beloved pastors, right? Who did a lot of great things for them and kept them in God's word, right? And so. Uh, pastor needs to go into that with a little kindness and to, you know, to, to be willing to sing some of those and not doing it begrudgingly or saying, I know this is not a very, you know, because what you are doing is you're stomping on something that, that they have loved, something they sing at their grandmother's funeral and then they're grand their grandfather's funeral and then your mother mother's funeral and just say well you know i find it theologically weak and just kind of casting it aside is something that could do a lot of damage and it's like you're in a way that now if they learn and realize oh some of these other lutheran hymns they do a really good job of teaching the faith that's great but that takes a while for them to to learn and understand and that doesn't mean that you sing hymns that are flatly wrong either. But there's a little kindness, I think, in that and doing that for the people. So that. Right. And just to remind people, Luther is not talking about singing Amazing Grace. Right? Mm-hmm. He's, not, he's not talking about that. He's talking about bringing back the Latin Mass that the people don't understand. He's talk. He's brought back communion in one kind, right? I mean, these are fundamental things, right? That I mean, like this isn't this isn't just how great thou art, right? This is <laughs> these are things that do need to be changed because they they violate God's word, because they violate the the mandate of Christ, and yet He's willing to bear with them. And I mean, really, the biblical example here would be Elijah. Elijah sets up an altar on Mount Carmel. You ever think about that? Where, you know, he has that contest with the with the prophets mm-hmm. of Baal? Yeah. Um, well, doesn't Elijah sin? Because the only altar is supposed to be where? Well, in um, Jerusalem, right? Jerusalem, yeah. Right? I mean, that's the only place sacrifices should be taking place. And yet, why does Elijah bear with this? Why does he bear with the high places? Why does he bear with this? Well, because... The first, he's got to get people away from thinking that Baal is the Lord. Right. Right? I mean, and we know from God's own mouth that's the seven, that there are 7,000 people in this heterodox church. Even though they've, they're enmeshed in the sin of Jeroboam, even though you know, they have a, a priesthood who is only in it for the money that isn't according to God's command with uh, the sons of Aaron, nevertheless, there are still Christians there. 
And mm-hmm. so I, <laughs> this is where uh, I think we can learn something from, I don't know, the Bible mm-hmm. on how we and, should and, be, and, you know, <laughs> maybe a little bit more, you know, pick our battles. It's like when you're doing spiritual triage, you don't worry about the cancer. You worry about heart failure first. You get the heart yeah. stabilized and then you go after the cancer. Right. And and it's and it's also I think a lesson that learned that can be learned on both sides. Because one is for the pastor to to deal with patients, you know. Um what what I remember at the seminary that uh, it was kind of interesting how a lot of times guys would want to go to places where they didn't have to actually lead them to a, <laughs> a certain way. I, I want the kind of congregation where everything is very orthodox and uh, I can just kind of go in and just do my thing. That's called heaven. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's, there is something to be said about, well, you're going to a congregation with sinners, right? Yeah, I mean, that's like saying... Well, I want I want uh, an outpost on the Western Front where I actually don't have to fire my weapon. <laughs> right. right. It's like, right. well, that, that's not going to work, man. And, but there, there is another side of this, too, is mm-hmm. in the same way, uh, uh, the person in the pew also should have patience in realizing that the pastor is, is there to lead. And to, to to realize if he does start teaching you things that maybe are new to you, even though they probably are not new to Lutheranism, is the fact that he's doing out of love and concern and not, you know, to to bring all this dishonor to the things that you've loved or cherished. I think they're both kind of go hand in hand in creating a healthy environment for a congregation. Yeah, I guess my big thing is is don't be old spiritually. You know, don't be like old leather that, you know, young leather, new leather is very supp- supple, right? You mm-hmm. can move it, it's very, you know, supple and tough and but when leather dries out, when it becomes hardened, it shatters, right? Mhm. Yeah, well, that's a you know like a which is why in my Lexus you kind of sit and pivot and you don't ah, slide. Yeah. Exactly, right? So the thing is, is the human heart can be the same way. And we should always pray and try to be spiritually young, even if we are physically old. Right. Because otherwise we do shatter. And uh, the thing is, is um, we always go back to the age that we grew up, grew up in, and the temptation is for most people to stop at a certain point in life. So, you mm-hmm. know, there are a lot of people, older people, who almost think this is like the 1950s, right? Or the 1980s. Yeah. And it's like, this is not what's going on in the world. You are, you're not actually processing this anymore. You're not, you're living in a world that no longer exists. And yeah, so we want to be tender. We want to be open to these things because if we're not open to them, if we're not open to the reviving and the, uh, you know, isn't that what it says in, in the scriptures that um, that even the young men faint and fall, but the Lord renews their strength? Well, he does the same thing for old people. If you think you're too old to learn, you're just lazy. Yeah, I, I, have this, the, and I, I had this conversation with my confirmation kids tonight. Uh, my catechism kids, because uh, we were going through some of the questions and answers in the explanation. And I asked them, well, why do you think it's important that as it answers a question, it gives you scripture references in the explanation? Mm-hmm. Because because the word of God is what, what leads us and guides us, and that is a final word. We're not here to make up our own ideas, but uh, God's word is, in, is what informs us. And you will learn things in here that of what the Bible says that you probably might will be uncomfortable with. And right. that's because God's word actually, his will and his word is different than our own. And that's why we are here to be changed. You listen to a sermon to change how you think about things, that to change how you view sin uh, according to God's word so that you can reflect on that and repent of your sins. Because and, yeah, that's the other side of it, right? Is, we need to keep swimming. It's like your favorite Disney movie, right? Is it Pixar or Disney? Nemo, Finding Nemo. 
right? Isn't that what that fish says? Just keep swimming. Well, that, that was uh, that was popular when Vicker was like five. So, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, is that Doug Wilson makes this point is you can be swimming upstream, but if you're not swimming vigorously or fast enough, you stay in the same place because that water is always running. It's the same way with the culture and everything else. It's like, mm-hmm. if we are not moving forward, you know, and this is not a critique of Luther or anybody else, but this is really just the reality of it. We can't be held in tyranny by congregations that don't want to change because that's not being weak. That's being tyrannical. Right. And and, uh, and this aspect, too, is, yes, Lutherans, Vicar, can pray for the Holy Spirit. Right? I'm yes. sure that how much they how often do they teach that in the seminary? Uh, Praying to and for the Holy Spirit. I think I've only heard that exactly once. Okay. Why? Because the Holy Spirit works through the Word, and that's what actually changes us. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. And even making a conscious effort to pray for the for the Holy Spirit means that uh, you realize I need constant reformation. Well, and that's why what makes a theologian, what Luther talked about, right? Oratio, meditatio, tentatio. Oratio is a prayer to the Holy Spirit to open the Word of God, right? Isn't that what we pray for in the general prayer? That let all who hear this Word rightly understand it and truly believe it. Mm -hmm. Like we're actually praying that our people understand what we say, which uh, from an external perspective, that's on us, right? If our Mm -hmm. people don't understand what we say in an external sense, um, then we probably need to become clearer in our preaching and teaching. But truly believe it is, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Imagine, this is your assignment for fourth year. In one of your classes, say you have homiletics three, right? Uh, Just kind of mention in class, yeah, I was working on my sermon, and I prayed for the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Just see They'd probably accuse me of being a of a of doing a Doctor Scare impression. <laughs> ha! See what uh, <laughs> well, that's okay. Um, True prophets are always misunderstood. So yeah, that's right. That, that's by the way. All this what you're talking about is something I, I try to model for the vicars in the sense of of uh, not being even content in how I preach. In a sense of always looking to preach a better sermon and not just kind of resting in, oh yeah, you know, you know what I mean, Vicar? We've talked about that a little bit, haven't we? Yeah, about always trying to improve instead of resting on sort of the laurels or the the gimmicks and stuff that you've been able to come up with over the years and <laughs> just resting on that knowing, oh, this will be an okay sermon. Right. Always trying to improve. Or, or even I ask, well, how do, I'll even ask you sometimes how that some sermon come across. Yeah, exactly. You know, because... I might be unaware of sometimes. Well, it is our sacrifice to the Lord. Mm-hmm. The sermon is our sacrifice. And it should be a good one. <laughs> right. You know, I and, mean, and, and, preaching... and a pastor should always be looking in a, in, a, in a way that is edifying to the people to always become a better preacher. And that should never stop. Right. Number two. Therefore, all those who all those have erred who have helped and consented to abolish the mass, not that it was not a good thing, but that it was not done in an orderly way. You say it was right according to the scriptures. I agree, but what becomes of order? For it was done in wantonness, with no regard for proper order and with offense to your neighbor. If beforehand you had called upon God in earnest prayer and had obtained the aid of the authorities— one could be certain that it had come from God. I, too, would have taken steps toward the same end if it had been a good thing to do, and if the Mass were not so evil a thing, I would introduce it again. For I cannot defend your action, as I have just said. So so, so Luther was basically not arguing with what they did, but how they did it. Exactly. So, uh, and of course here, even though it's not mentioned First Corinthians fourteen forty. Let all things be done decently and in order. And a couple other verses here that he brings up: Every plant which my Father has not planted will be rooted up, and I have not sent the, sent them yet. They ran. 
And so even though the mass is an evil thing, and even though they were right to do so, they didn't pray beforehand. They didn't call upon God earnestly in prayer, and they didn't get the authorities involved. They didn't go uh, through the proper channels, which, of course, can be taken, you know, uh, too far in one way. But when -hmm. you're reforming a congregation, when you're reforming a synod, you have to work through particular channels. Like, for example, Bullhagen, if you were to introduce something new, who would you talk to first? Uh, My wife. (laughs) Well, okay. Your wife. (laughs) Peter, take that out. (laughs) (laughs) But you would talk to the elders, right? Yes. Yes, I would. You, You talk to the elders, and you would get their feedback and everything like that on that, right? That's what you would do. And then That's the right. elders would go to the council, and then the council would go to the voters. And there would be plenty of orderly teaching on that. That's the thing is, growth without order is cancer. Yeah, and, and the fact that you want uh, the congregation to also to to make such a change from their own heart and desire to follow God's word. Right. And you that don't takes want them time. Sim- simply just because of the law. Well, and it's kind of like planting a field. You don't just go out to your field and scatter your seed everywhere. You actually, you know, if it's a vine, you hang it up, right? Mm-hmm. You actually have scaffolding that helps you grow your grapes. If you don't do that, you're not going to get many grapes because it's all on the ground. In the same way, fields are orderly, and that's a good thing. You can plant mm-hmm. a lot more crops that way. So, you know, it's order is important. Pastors need to be orderly. This is something I think most pastors are right. not actually because, very good at. Because when, what, what happens is when this is not done, as soon as a pastor leaves, what happens? It, goes, congregation- it goes back to the way it was. And then it becomes, well, this was pastor's preference. Well, no, this wasn't pastor's preference. It, well, I mean, sometimes it is, but that gets mixed in with, okay, was this God's word or pastor's preference? Yeah. Yeah. And but like I said, it takes patience by the pastor, but also patience on the people that have trust in that. It works works hand in hand. Well, and every pastor should have a plan. Like, this is how we're going to teach things. This is how we're going to orderly present what God has taught. Right? The whole counsel of God, as Paul talks about. Mm-hmm. So a pastor shouldn't just, you know, I don't know, be swinging from the hip every Sunday, but he should be planning. There should be some sort of a rational thought process of, okay, I'm going to teach this. I'm going to teach this. This is a problem in my congregation. I'm going to teach this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, Vicar, you've been quiet. What are some thoughts that you've had? Because this is all stuff you've probably really been thinking about. When you, because in two years you'll be doing this. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing that I, uh, I have been thinking about a lot, least a lot, uh, recently is having order in how we teach things that we know you're gonna have to teach. Uh, things like Bible study, um, catechism, things like that. Um, I I know from my own experience and also um, from friends' experience that oftentimes we go through like catechesis as you know uh, young people and it's not ordered at all it's sort of haywire all over the place and you don't get what you need and so yeah order has been something that i've been thinking about a lot a lot recently yeah so that when you think of uh you know going to to your call um these are the th- things that you kind of worry about the most, isn't it? Like, you know that you'll be able to preach sermons. You'll know that you'll be able to teach Bible studies. Mm-hmm. It's some of the other things that you probably worry about the most, the sticking points. Right, yeah, the things that you know are, there's going to be at least one person who's going to sort of put up a fight for, like the the hymns or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, people have their sort of, their hobby horses that they like to keep on and, and it could be hard to try to teach through that um, this is why we should all be as the Bereans constantly searching the scriptures to see whether or not what our pastors and 
leaders are telling us are true. And then it also makes us more biblically literate mm-hmm. and uh, just helps right. the community in general. Yeah. And I would say this too. Sometimes it's, it is hard for the, these things to be taught uh, when people aren't in Bible study. Yeah. It makes it really hard for a pastor. People might think, well, I don't I have an issue with this. And then the only time you have to really address it is in the sermon, which it's not always the best way to have like a conversation and a real in-depth study when you're in a sermon. And there is a teaching element involved. However, um, when it comes to answering questions and having a dialogue and answering things with scripture and kind of showing why these things are the way they are, or why we can move in a certain direction, that becomes hard if you just have a sermon and people aren't coming to Bible study. See, I think we need to get more. We actually need to do that in our sermons. We just have to, because you're right. We're never going to change people simply by, you know, the, the 15 or 20% that come to Bible class. And so that means we actually have to have a dialogue in our sermon and Mm -hmm. bring that out because otherwise, yeah, things aren't going to change. And people won't understand. And, yeah, I mean, because that's exactly what Luther is doing here, right? Right, yeah, that, he's doing that in his sermon. Yeah, And that, that dude preached every day, you know? So in a couple of weeks, maybe we'll tackle images. Hey. Which right. we should do that for, like, the... Uh, we should do that for, like, one of the Halloween episodes because I have some good stuff to go along with that. Ooh. Mm. And number one. For here, we battle not against pope or bishop, but against the devil, Ephesians 6.12. And do you imagine he is asleep? Ephesians 6.12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So, I mean, this is, once again, the people who are ignorant or weak, they're not the enemy. Yeah. I mean, they're not the enemy. Even Karlstadt here is not the enemy. Um, Pope and Bishop are ultimately not 100% the enemy. What lies behind this? It's the devil. Yeah, You know, that's so, so rampant, rampant is for people to think that way. You know, um, for pastors, for example, uh, to place people, this guy's an alligator or this one is just, you know where or the fact that we we don't necessarily we think the enemy is someone else rather than than the devil on things like that aren't really that important now that peop now that person might be a tool of the devil right but he's not the devil because i mean this is interesting i mean luther says that the pope is the antichrist right the papacy is yeah. the antichrist and yet here he is saying you know for here, we battle not against pope or bishop, but against the devil. And I think that's an important thing to realize, that everything we do is spiritual warfare, and the only way to fight this is not by passing bylaws or senate conventions or anything like that. The way we battle this is with the word of God. Right. Right. And then it's right in line with Luther's question and answers, right? Right. You know? See if you have a beating heart. Touch yourself. See if you have your flesh, and 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 consider how the devil does not rest day and night. Uh, the world doesn't rest. Your own sinful flesh. You know, if you are alive, if you ha- are, if your heart is beating, you have sinful flesh, and the devil does not rest. Um, so you be you're diligent, but you realize who ultimately is the enemy and. And all of this. Um, because even Jesus, even as he was battling with uh, the Pharisees, uh, he was still trying to teach them. He was still trying to call them to repentance. And he still wept over them. Um, and uh, because he loved them. And, uh, and I think that is important. That's what Luther was teaching in the sermon, and we should always... Well, and isn't that what we pray for, that uh, the enemies of your church might walk with us in meekness and in peace? 
So I have a question, Berg, then. So how would someone take this information? Um, who, let's say, uh, someone uh, is uh, not a pastor, just uh, someone who who is a, a, a Christian can use this information dealing with others, maybe outside of the just the church realm itself, of how they can help their neighbor understand and see things in a gentle way. Yeah. Um, be patient, be patient with people, plant the seed, know the word of God, teach them not haphazardly, but when you figure when you diagnose the problem that they have, um, then you can really start to plan out what kind of things you can say to them. And and they're not going to listen or care about anything you have to say unless they realize that you actually care for them. You know what I mean? If you show in all sorts of other ways that you're not just there to prove that you're right. Well, and also diagnose what the real issue is, you know, um, because you can do the right thing for the wrong reason. And even in Adiaphora, especially in Adiaphora, as Lutherans have rediscovered the liturgy over the last 25 years, it's been a beautiful thing. But at the same time, we cannot confuse what is Adiaphora with what God actually commands. Yeah. And here, I mean, these, these are things that God actually commands. And still, Luther is, he's really putting the brakes on hard because people do need to be taught. Because yeah. personal faith is important. Mm-hmm. You can't just force something in, expect people to obey, and not know the reason why. That doesn't work that way. Um, then you are you are as much of a tyrant as the Pope was. Yeah. For the for the pastors, I would say this is you know. So when do you start to change things? Well, Luther really changed things after about two years of preaching and teaching consistently and persistently. I mean, if you look at his uh, preaching schedule here, uh, this is from Martin Brecht, who is Luther's biographer, volume two, page 58. It says, Luther preached constantly in Wittenberg, and while traveling on Sundays and festivals, he preached on the appointed gospel in the morning. In the afternoon sermon at 12 o'clock, he dealt with individual books of the Bible, beginning with First Peter in May 1522, then continuing with Second Peter and Jude at the beginning of 1523, and with Genesis from the end of March 1523 until the fall of 1524. So Luther is preaching all the time. And these sermons were 45 minutes to an hour long. And so I think that actually has to figure in here, that when you're changing stuff, you know, if you only have 20 minutes with people on a given Sunday, it's going to take a long time to change things. Right. I was talking and, to and- somebody who went to Christ Academy, uh, and I uh, was talking to this guy, and he was saying, you know, he was just really kind of despondent and about, well, why does it take so long? And I was like, okay, well, look at how many hours you got in Christ Academy uh, of of education, right? How many hours mm-hmm. did you sit in class? And I think we figured out 72 hours in, in that two weeks. And it's like, okay, so let's do 20 minutes. If the majority of the congregation only comes to your sermon on Sundays for 20 minutes, let's say it's a 20-minute sermon, to equal that 72 hours is like eight years. Right. So that's the thing is we're not preaching preaching as much as Luther. We're not teaching as much as Luther. Um, We don't give people the resources like the Lutherans did. And Mm. it's just necessarily going to take longer. Unless you can get people, you know, attack, you know, integrated into something like that. And I think this also addresses for a pastor too. The uh, the way at times when a pastor goes to a new congregation and they might feel like they're just betraying their conscience, you know, there is something to be said about. Well, there's a process. Are they your children or not? I mean, that's really the issue. I mean. Mm-hmm. A lot of you know, a lot of the liturgical guys have started calling each other father, which I'm fine with. I mean, that's a biblical term. 
But then if you're a dad, you need to act like a dad. You don't treat your infant like a teenager. Mm -hmm. You actually have to love them. You have to care for them. You have to tolerate. And that's actually one thing that my new district president preached, which was awesome. Um, toleration is our word. Because to tolerate something is to bear with it. To bear with these people and carry them and bring them to a better place. And that takes time and that takes teaching. And that means you have to be prepared. And that means uh, everything that you do and teach ought to be geared towards those particular problems, just like Luther. So don't be straight-jacketed to the lectionary or whatever. If there's something that needs to be talked about, talk about it. Teach on it. And be confident right. that your authority does come from heaven and that God's word does change people and that it makes them stronger, that it makes them grow up, that it makes them mature in the faith. Because I think our problem is, is that as pastors, we often forget that our authority is from heaven and God's and word I, actually does make people better. And I would say this too, to pastors, right? Is uh, sometimes it's okay if you've led a congregation in a certain direction and has benefited them to to take a call where you need to start that process all over again. You yeah. know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. I think sometimes we just say, well, oh, there's this congregation that called me and yeah, they don't do things the way I would do them. I don't know if I want to take that call. <laughs> now there's some stories where you could reflect, well, could I actually help them? And maybe if you feel like you're not equipped to do that, that's one thing. But at the same time, you know, care about other people. Isn't that what we heard in our gospel lesson? Right. <laughs> Love your neighbor. <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> and, you know, Paul says the same thing all over the place. Uh, Philippians 2, right? Look not, you know, don't look out for your own interests, but look out for the interests of others. Ooh, you might have to be a little uh, uncomfortable because they don't have every Sunday communion. Whoop-de-doo. Grow up. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Right. Stop being so selfish. The law of God commands that we actually care about our neighbor. I, I mean, and, you know, I don't know. This is a trend that I see a lot, especially people who have gone to higher things and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, they basically flat out told me they wouldn't come to my congregation either here or in Iowa because we didn't have every Sunday communion. Straight out told me. Hmm. That's not cool. So you would not go to a congregation that has great liturgy, great hymns, great preaching, and I'm not patting myself on the back there, but, you know. Biblical. <laughs> biblical preaching. You know, faithful preaching. Right. Because we don't have every Sunday communion. Uh, I don't know. That just... That's bothered me for a lot of years. So, you know, is every Sunday communion great? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Should we want the forgiveness of sins every Sunday in as many ways as we can get it? Absolutely. But do we want the Lord's Supper to become a law? No. No. Do we want people to treat it simply as a routine? No. Do we want people to put the Lord's Supper above preaching? Well, no. I hope not. Because... Unlike some Fort Wayne professors, uh, the sermon is not just simply setting the table for the Lord's Supper. Yeah, Vicar knows and, what and, I'm and talking I, about. I would, add, I would add to this discussion as well the fact that um, those who are in the congregation, that uh, they have lots of opportunities to be a blessing in those situations. One, of supporting the pastor. Two, dealing with kindness with the others. Um, you know, there's something to be said about um, helping each other and not just past pitting pastor against the people. Right. Some people in the congregation working together and talking about it in a healthy way that they, they can bring about a lot of guiding and helping the weaker as well and all of that. Or another issue, you know, schools. I mean, there's so many pastors that don't want to go to parochial schools. It's like, come on. You want to homeschool your kids? Well, great. That's awesome. I'm glad you can give your kids this great education. But don't you want to help others? To be trite, be the change you want to see. 
if you want a good parochial school system, and it's amazing how many of these, uh, you know, homeschoolers are supporting Luther Classical College, which is just an advanced form of parochial school. Right? I mean, that's what it is. That's what it is. So it's like, how about you buck up, you maybe deal with the deficiencies of these schools, and I don't know, you look out for the interests of other people? I don't know. Maybe that that's something that Jesus said and the Apostle Paul. But, you know, what do I know? So, so Berg, how do you really feel? So, well, I just, this that that's why these Invocavit sermons are so good. They're so good and they're so timely, you know, because this is what it is. It's being down in the trenches. It's bearing with people. It's teaching and teaching and teaching and not giving up, not giving into indifferentism. But loving but doing, people, doing your job. Yeah, right, and doing it out of care for them, you know? When you, when you get to a congregation, they are a product of what they've heard in the past. Exactly. So, you know, and I've never been in a congregation that re- that has completely rejected Christ, you know? So, I mean, obviously God did things, even if it's incredibly deficient. So, I don't know, maybe thank God for what came before and work with it. And right, because this is, because uh, this is these things aren't getting better. <laughs> no, it's like, you know what? We might have to take a football field back, you know, going with the World War I, uh, you know, analogy. It's like, maybe we have to take back this 100, 100 yards of no man's land. Maybe that's what that is. Maybe that's our job. Maybe it's, you know, preparing for the onslaught. Who knows? I I don't know why we are where we're at and what we're doing. God knows. He put us there, gave us our marching orders. So how about we, I don't know, just do it. Right. And care about the people who are under our command. Right? right? So well, I don't know. Before, I, I think we should move on because Peter would probably say so. I'm trying to channel my inner Peter. So I, I do have, we had a question real quick. Do you have time to answer this one, Berg? Always. All right. Uh, cause, uh, yeah, it's getting, I have to be, I have to kind of be out by seven. So, so pretty soon. Is so that when you turn it... back into a pumpkin? No, that's, I got to get to the wellness center before they, I got to get to the freak factory because they close at eight. All right. We better <laughs> yeah, hurry then. I, right. So this is uh, a question for Berg actually. Oh boy. Uh, it says, uh, Reverend Berg, I recently enjoyed, I, I really enjoy your soap box shibboleth podcast. My Wells Church uses a, the three-year lectionary, and it's nice to hear two perspectives on that same text. I had a question on your Pentecost 16 sermon where you were talking about Christian freedom and encouraging but not forcing, good practice like serving the Lord's Supper from the altar and the use of the common cup. I may be reading too much into the way you phrased it, but it seemed like you were going to encourage breaking a common loaf of bread as opposed to using individual hosts. If I heard you right, could you riff on that? My understanding is that the church got away from the breaking of bread to preferring individual hosts due to concerns over crumbs in conse- of consecrated bread, although that may be a pious spin on the innovation. Many thanks. All so right. What do you have? Yeah. Um, yeah, I would actually, you know, encourage all those things. One bread, one cup, one altar, um, and my basis for this is 1 Corinthians ten seventeen, For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Um, this is, of course, and I, I hope I don't have to say this, I mean, this is an adiaphron. It doesn't mean that the circular wafers that you get are any less the body of Christ any more than the individual cups are any less the blood of Christ. I hate that I even have to say that, but it's true. I just, let's... Put that right. out there, okay? So, I mean, the big thing is, is that even though adiaphra are not, you know, these things are not commanded by God nor forbidden by God, but they're better practices because they teach something. And Paul here in 1 Corinthians ten seventeen says, you know, for we though many are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. This shows our unity, our actual communion with one another. That's what the one bread shows. And in fact, Eastern Orthodox uh, Christians still use one bread. 
Uh, it's actually leavened bread, which is interesting. And they use a knife to actually cut it up um, to distribute to the people. Um, as for breaking, uh, this was what was called the fractio panis, which is a way that the Calvinists tried to show that Jesus was not physically present in the bread and the wine, but that the believer was transported by faith up to heaven to receive Jesus' body and blood spiritually. Um, and so they would say things like, uh, you know, not a bone of Jesus' body was broken. Uh, we broke this bread. Therefore, Jesus is not present in this particular place, in this particular loaf of bread. Um, the thing is, is like, if you ask Lutherans who have a big um, communion host, you see it at places like Redeemer and the like, they still have to break it. Right. You know? And I would say this. So uh, one thing I, I noticed in the question is you listen to your sermon and where you're doing exactly what you've been talking about. Exactly. <laughs> right. Uh, and the other thing is, uh, too, as you, you talk about your answer, um, to simply illustrate, you wouldn't just change it just because this is better without actually people recognizing and understanding it. You right. Know, this is the right way we do it. Okay. What good does that do? Exactly. Well, and, you know, even Luther says that immersion is better for baptism because uh, it better pictures the drowning that happens in holy baptism. Now, of course, because of, you know, the uh, the Baptists and the status of confession, uh, that is no longer an adiaphron. Just like for St. Paul, circumcision was no longer an adiaphron when the Jews said, well, you have to be circumcised to be saved. Mm -hmm. And so maybe someday we'll get to that. Um, I hope the church, you know, it's interesting because, you know, everyone's pushing for the chalice, which is great. Um, in my former congregation in, La in Latimer, uh, I think most people actually take the chalice, which is a wonderful blessing. Um, but it'd be nice too, because it's not just about the chalice. It's also about Christ's body, right? Mm -hmm. For we, though many, are one bread. Right? We are one body. And so this would be a good way to show our unity with one another. And that would take a lot of teaching and uh, maybe some changes in our practice. Uh, but I think we could get there, you know? All right. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time. And I did not get a chance to get to my top 12 list. Uh, so you will have to wait till next time. With bated breath. Yes. So thank you for listening. This is Bullhagen. This is Berg. And this is Vicker. And may your Swifts be Kelseyed. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. On Twitter, at ClericalHeirsP for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.